Mason, I thought you were going to share about that last song. Okay. Did, did you make it through? Okay. Mason, Mason was just sharing how preparing for Just As I Am um, just really was emotional for him this week. And I, I shared how it's one of those songs in my life in the background. It got abused um, because of the tendency to use it at altar calls consistently and it just was drug out and probably played over and over and over too much. So I don't know the last time I've actually worshipped with it. And, just, and, I, and I say this, it was good to have it in the worship set and not in the response time for me uh, because I got to meditate on the words a little differently. Um, <laughs> did, 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 did Riley cover for you? Okay, so, so she gave an explanation. Okay, good. Um, yeah, and, and I think one of the things that Mason identified um, about the song, and, and I think even in the, the first song that we sang this morning, is how they relate to the scripture that we're going to be getting into over the course of the next few months through the summer. And uh, I, I do want to just share this with you. Um, as the Lord was uh, impressing me, I was talking to some friends and uh, just praying about what uh, this summer service, our series needed to be. And I just I was really impressed to go to First Timothy. So that's where we're going to be this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can certainly turn there. Um, and I encourage you to do this if you, um, you know, take a, a ribbon, uh, put it in First Timothy, because we're also going to jump over into the book of Acts for just a, a couple minutes today um, as well, just to give a little context. And that's, this is the sermon introduction this morning, or the series introduction this morning. And um, Mason was just talking about how the, the songs uh, this morning, he's trying to like line them up with the scripture. And uh, as we were singing the first song, I was just, there was a line in it about the, um, God's plan in, in, in the fullness of time, which is really a part of uh, the text in Ephesians chapter 1, where the Lord, or Paul is writing, inspiring, uh, the Lord is inspiring Paul to write uh, about the plan of the gospel being enacted in the, the fullness of time, in the perfection of God's plan. And uh, so, so that's important because Timothy's actually at the church of Ephesus when he receives this letter. So that's an important piece. Like all these things are actually connecting. And so I think sometimes we, we at least in my own Bible reading habits and study habits, there's times that I forget the context. I just like the, the meaning of the words and the letters themselves and like what's going on. But to get the historical context sometimes also really is beneficial. And so that's part of what we're going to look at this morning is why uh, this letter to, to, to the young Timothy from Paul, how does that all relate uh, to the context of where they're ministering and what's going on? Because it's not just in, in the immediate context that this is important, but it's, I think also, and we'll, we'll look at this, but it's a mirror to us um, about our own lives. Um, so, uh, let me pray, and then we'll uh, read First Timothy chapter one, verses one and two, and then we'll jump into the message. So let's let's pray together, Heavenly Father. Um, it is so good to be in worship today, um, and Lord, certainly it was good last week for me um, to to be at uh, the Bonnaroo campus uh, out there in the camping area and uh, ministering at the Jesus Tent. Um, it's a reminder to me of of the need for the gospel to be uh, communicated, both in service uh, to the community as well as in sharing the, the hope of the gospel. And it's a reminder, Lord, that people 
are desperate for good things. They're desperate for Christians to love them with a right biblical love because the world is not offering that. The, the world is offering uh, cheap love that is accommodating instead of challenging. And so, Lord, let us be people that remember the, the community that we live in, the era that we live in where people are hungry for the hope of Jesus Christ and what he offers. And so, Father, today we're going to see that a little bit even through the message, that, that this message from Paul to Timothy is also a message to the church to encourage them about their ministry. So, Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds uh, through the work of your Spirit as he takes the word and transforms us and that we would be sensitive and ready to hear from you. Um, Lord, that we might walk together as both uh, with you, both as individuals and then as a community, to be obedient together, to, to glorify and honor the name of Jesus Christ. So we bless you and look forward to what you're going to teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so let's, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump over into some of this context that I was mentioning earlier. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I, I want to make a couple quick comments about the text because I'm not going to just focus on that this morning trying to give back, I'll get back to some of this context. But there is a, a key element to this as we read here. It is the grace of God. Okay, so, so I want you to, to really think through everything that we're going to look at in this, this uh, series on 1 Timothy is really about Paul elevating God's grace in the life of a church that's struggling. And I think that is something for us as we've been coming out of the, some of the COVID woes that we experienced, just some transition as we're leaning in towards days of revitalization. We need God's grace. And if we, if we think that we can operate together as a church body or even as maybe families together or maybe even as individuals, apart from God's grace, we will, we will end up feeling weak, anemic, and we'll be frustrated. We've got to lean in to the grace of God with each other in this time. Because I can tell you this really quickly, like being somewhat transparent, coming out of these meetings, everybody's fired up, and I love that. But there's also a degree where we've got to bear with grace when it takes a little while to get things strategically done and to put the pieces in place and to be like framing questions to, to evaluate how we do these things rightly. And, and I wanna just share this. Um, it was a week ago, um, a week and a half ago, that the church health team, we spent two hours together going over the um, material that Rob, Dr. Rob Brzezette presented to us. And it was great, sweet conversation. It was very productive. We're, we're like synthesizing all that information. Uh, we still got another meeting coming up on July 5th. Um, I think that's right. Um, we, so we've got steps in place. You've heard about the... the um, going out and um, out on the outreach to the community on July 8th will be the first one weeks coming where there's a lot of things happening but it's, so it's action but it's also like synthesizing all this stuff it's good days but it's going to take us a little time to, to get everything implemented so one bear with us in grace with patience 
okay, so as we get all these things lined up together because it's going to take some tweaking and changing and, and doing all those things. I know we're eager, but let's be eager together with the right plans because it will be beneficial for, for all of us. So uh, in the meantime, what does that mean? Be praying. Be praying that as we're working towards all these things, that, that it's a, a collaborative effort from members in the body, and, and that's even the survey card that we've asked for. It's your input today and last week to help us make sure that we understand what the Lord is leading us to rightly so that as we begin to implement these things, we're following God's plans. Because the last thing you want to do is follow Matt's plans. And I, I hope that the Lord gives me good plans, okay? But I want them to be the Lord's plans. And so that's why we have an elder body, that it's not just Matt as the one sole leader. That's why we've developed the church health team. That's why we have deacons. We have an accountability structure in place that we're trying to operate in all these things healthy in a healthy way together. So what, what is that? All that comes from what? Us remembering that as a church is going through certain things, what Paul is addressing here to young Timothy is to remember the grace of Jesus Christ so that we elevate that as the first priority in our relationships with one another. If we will do that, the Lord will take care of things, and we won't enter into conflict, we won't become impatient, we'll, we'll endure and be uh, loving one another well. So um, let's look at the background now, because I think this is where it gets so fun to me in one sense. So turn over to Acts chapter 14, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm not going to like un unpack a lot of the text. It's just going to be kind of hits here and there about uh, some things that happen in the church, in Acts, especially around Paul and Timothy. Um, so if you look at Acts chapter 14, um, and we're, we're just going to pick up right here at uh, verse 8. So and just read a little bit. So now at least Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. So here's what's happened is Paul and Barnabas have set out on the first missionary journey. And so they, at verse 8, we see them transitioning to the city of Lystra. Now, why is Lystra important in, in the, this missionary journey? Here's what happens. They actually, I think, plant a church right here as a result of going in and doing this missionary work. And so we're going to find out later, and you can, you can cheat if you want, but look over to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, and I'll, I'll just touch the base of this real quick. This is actually on the second missionary journey. Okay, when we get to Acts 16, and what happens here is Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. So how did Timothy become a disciple? Well, on the first missionary journey, there's a church planted in Lystra, and I'm just assuming this, we don't read it in the text, but out of that church and the work there, Timothy starts to, you know, he, he comes to faith. And he's, and the description in, in chapter 16 is actually that he is well-received, like he has a good reputation in the church, and Paul takes notice. Okay, so let me just give you a little bit more historical background because I think this is important. Um, from Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are on the missionary journey. Uh, then they come back in Acts 15, there's this, uh, they come back to Jerusalem. And in Acts 15 is there's an event called the Jerusalem Council where the, Paul and Barnabas have given a testimony about all the things that God is doing. Then the, the council, that, but there's questions because the, there's a group of people that want to uh, reinstate all of the, uh, a majority of the Jews, so I don't want to say all, but a majority of Jewish laws on the Gentile believers. 
especially the issue of circumcision. And so the council's wrestling through, what do we do? What's right? And they actually determine you don't have to be circumcised as a Gentile to be a follower of Christ. It's good news because the, the law is not being elevated. It's actually being understood under the authority of the, the church there that there's grace to be offered. And the law has a definite place, but that law's place is not to be elevated. It's not to be confused. And that's going to be an important piece. So Paul and Barnabas then, in Acts chapter 15, we, we read that they start going on their, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 16, they're now on their second missionary journey. And so uh, what happens is they get into Lystra. Obviously, Paul's already met, he, or we, as we've read, he's met young Timothy. And Timothy's uh, so impressive to Paul that Paul says, hey, look, I like you and I think that God's doing something. You, I want you to join us on this missionary journey. Now, if you, I, I don't know, like if you're like me, visuals help. I turned in the back of my Bible as I started doing this and I started following all the missionary journeys on the maps. It's just helpful for me to think through those things. So at some point, maybe if you're thinking about that this summer as we're continuing through the book of uh, Timothy, it probably is worth you just looking at the map and seeing how Paul journeyed on this, especially the second and third missionary journeys. The first one's a little bit simpler, but um, what happens is as he's going through these towns, he's now, he and uh, uh, has Silas have picked up Timothy, and they're going on this journey together. And so it's the three of them. So what happens next is Paul makes these stops. He goes to Athens, and it's, it's interesting, um, and, and at that point, he'd actually left Timothy and Silas behind in Berea, and he goes, Paul goes on to Athens by himself. He's actually like stoned in Athens, it, it be, or it becomes this big thing. He's only there a couple days, and then he goes from there to Corinth. So Paul and, I mean, Silas and Timothy are in Berea, having been left behind. Paul's now moved from Athens to Corinth. Well, then they catch up. Silas and Timothy catch up with him in Corinth. Here's where it gets interesting. They spend a year and a half in the city of Corinth. So that is a long time when you think about the missionary journey and the time frame that this journey is taking these, these men. So while there, Paul actually sent Timothy by himself back to this, the city of Thessalonica to encourage the church there. So that may sound like a minuscule historical piece, but it's actually saying something really important to us. And this is why I think when we just read like the, the passages and we don't consider the context and all that's kind of really happening behind the scenes and threaded through there, we miss a little bit. If, if I was like to take Mason, I'm going to pick on Mason this morning because he lets me do that most time. But I was like, Mason, you're ready. Go back to, to Cincinnati, where you're from. Why anybody would want to go back there, I don't know. <laughs> no, because Cincinnati, Cincinnati I'm, I, I don't need to go there. It has a curse. Skyline chili. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. We've talked about it. Um, but if he, if he were to go back and I trusted him enough to go back to Cincinnati to minister to those folks that have the, tr the curse of Skyline Chili, I would, I would know that Mason's not going to stumble. He's going to refrain from eating that stuff. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, 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 everybody's going to remember this illustration now. Okay. See, praise God. <laughs> Riley, don't, don't partake. It's not worth it. Um, just say no. Just say no. Um, no, in all seriousness, what you would, you would get to understand 
for Paul to utilize Timothy in that way, it says that Paul really trusts the, the level of maturity that this young man has. And, and it's not like he could, he could have sent Silas with him and said, Timothy, you're not quite ready. I want you to. But he sent him back to that church and l- allowed him to be a lead in that sense. So it's not a small thing. And, and so when we read 1 Timothy that comes after this, what we're seeing is a, a guy in Timothy who's already been proven, well proven. It's not like Paul's having to say to him, hey, this is your first experience, young guy. Even though you're young in the faith and these things need to happen, I think it's, it's a little bit, and, and, and don't take this the wrong way, there's a little bit of a passive-aggressive approach that Paul's taking with the church itself, and I'll cover that in a second. But, but what he's doing, Paul is doing, he's elevating young Timothy, and, and he's encouraged and excited about what he can offer to these church communities that he's been leaving behind on these missionary journeys. I'm going to stop here for just a moment. We've been talking about the need for leadership development in our church for the last year and a half at least. I want to be very, very blunt. Leaders are not born, they're made. And it's not by my making that leaders are made. Leaders are made because they respond to the calling of God in obedience in their life and they make the, intentionally make changes to ready themselves. Timothy had already done that when Paul met him in Lystra. Timothy did that more and more on, these jour- on this journey to the point where he, when he arrives at, at Corinth, Paul trusts him enough. See, what he did with, him, with uh, Silas and Timothy at Berea, that was the two. It was kind of like that pretest. Hey, there's your opportunity. Hey, you proved well, now go on your own. See, there's a point where Timothy is responding again and again and again. We talk about this thing in our church, and, and forgive me for the acrostic. You've heard it before, but I'm going to share it again, and it's not a negative. Fatter. Fatter, F-A-T-T-E-R. Leaders need to be faithful, available. Now think about Timothy in these things. Faithful, available, teachable, thankful, enthusiastic, and responsive to authority. See, every one of those qualities was exhibited by Timothy. In his relationship with Paul, Paul saw it. And because he was popping up with those Faith, those qualities, faithful, available, teachable, thankful, enthusiastic, and being responsive to authority, he was given more. Folks, what is the Lord calling you to do in our church life? If he, if he is calling you to be a leader, it's not going to be my responsibility to make you into that leader. It's my responsibility to see what the Lord is doing. And I say mine, it's, it's elders, okay? I'm just using myself as an example up here, but it's Michael and I, and, it's, and it, honestly, it's others. It may be a grow group leader that you're with that's observing things. It may be somebody else. You have the responsibility to intentionally pursue those things in your life and your relationship with the Lord so that you can be most used in the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not a leader that you can't be most used. Don't hear me say that. But if God is calling you to that and you're not pursuing those things, you can't be used because you're going to be in that, like, that place of hesitance 
a, a place where you're not committing and making those, those uh, shifts in priorities for God to use you. And the truth is, and I, I'm going to be very, very blunt here for a second more, there's a sense for all of us as Christians that we're being called to be leaders because we're trying to lead other people to follow Christ. So don't, don't think, well, I'm not going to be a leader in the church, therefore I don't need to learn how to lead. No, you do. You need to learn how to share your faith. You need to learn how to lead people to Christ and make disciples. That's, all, that, that's a mandate for every one of us. And we've got to be intentional about, and, and, and Mallory, um, she's not in here, but I appreciate what she said uh, this morning sharing about the Jesus tent. We need to learn to be courageous about sharing our faith. That's every one of us. It's not just my responsibility to share my faith. It's all of our responsibilities. How do we do that is we intentionalize ministry. We intentionalize the priorities of God so that he, we can be used by him as we respond in obedience. So, um, Paul continues on this third missionary journey. So after Timothy's gone to Thessalonica, or Thessalonica um, they, they go back and then to Jerusalem, and then they continue on the third missionary journey. Um, and on this journey, what's interesting is Paul actually goes to Ephesus. And so one of the things, so, so he's already been there, but he goes back. And at this point in the life of F Ephesus, Paul starts to notice some things that are going wrong. So what he does um, he actually sends uh, Timothy after the third missionary journey. Paul ends up in prison, and then he sends young Timothy to the church at Ephesus. So this is after the letter to the Ephesians. Paul's sending Timothy back there to minister to the church. And that's where we find this letter. So it's not just that it's to Timothy, like isolated in Jerusalem or, or in Lystra where his hometown is, that, that he's needing encouragement. He's been sent to a struggling church to encourage them. So here's some key markers that I, I think are really interesting. And we're going to look at this as, uh, especially Michael's going to talk about this next week as he looks at the aim of the, the letter to Timothy. Um, but one of the aims is to encourage them about love, how they are to love one another and love the Lord. That's, that's one of the central pieces in the, the book of Timothy. The other interesting thing is that's one of the central themes in the book of Ephesians. Now, why do I mention those things in these introductory remarks? How many of you have read the book of the Revelation and remember the focus on the seven churches? Do you remember who the first church is that's addressed you remember it's actually the Ephesian church so turn over to Revelation real quickly and let's look at this together because I think it'll be good for us just to read it and I'm doing Bible drill with you so chapter 2 Revelation chapter 2 give you just a second to get there. Here's what we read in Revelation 2. We'll read verses 1 through 7. To the angel, and, and let me remind you, the, the word angel in the Greek is angelos, which we, I think the, the right interpretation can be angel, but also very often it's just interpreted uh, more broadly than that as messenger. 
okay? So I, I think, when, don't, don't think about this as some kind of necessarily an angelic being, but it could be a messenger of some kind. So they use that in, in two ways, because it could be, uh, because this is prophetic, it could be a, a divine messenger of a kind, okay? So to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, listen to this. This is where it's more important. I'm not getting the prophetic, the prophetic things of, of verse 1. Here's what the, the tangible message is. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Now, that's a good thing, especially when we begin to get into 1 Timothy. We're going to see that there were some evil people in their midst, and they've, they've learned how to deal with this. But he says, but uh, verse, continue in verse 2, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Those are good things, okay? So commendation there, great. But verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So we, and let me continue reading the text. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its places unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the, of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So it's interesting. As we go through 1 Timothy, we're going to see some things, and I'm, and I'm going to highlight those in just a moment. But there's things that uh, Paul is instructing Timothy about that the church responds to. They got wrong. And here, even in Revelation... You know, several uh, years later, they're being commended for getting it right. Like what, what Paul's instructed them to do uh, through the leadership of Timothy, they, they did. Check, check, check. But there was a critique, a criticism. They lost their first love. What, what's the first love? It's, it's Jesus. They, they gotten busy doing things but losing sight of Christ. Folks, that is like to me, out of the gate, one of the first things, when I say out of the gate, that being the first letter in our, uh, to, to churches in Revelation, it's like a huge warning shot across the bow. We can get busy doing a lot of things, but if we lose the priority on Christ, we've missed it. And I think that's one of the things that you're going to see crop up throughout the, the, the reports that we're giving on church health and those kind of things is we want to maintain a focus on Christ in all things. That, that we are intentional about our conversation being primarily on Christ. That, that we would love people not just through actions, but through, or, or not through just through words, but through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Because it is not enough for us just to serve. I, and, and let me pick on the Jesus tent for just a minute, okay, in a positive way. The Jesus tent served over 13,000 people in a weekend. It's not just them coming through and getting donuts now and, and fruit and water. Now, there's people that just did that, okay? But they're sitting down. There's Bibles. There's a message that calls them to the hope of the gospel. I know that I prayed with at least eight different couples or people groups, okay, some individuals talking to them about faith matters, encouraging them about the church and what it means to know Christ. I didn't get to share the gospel 
with anyone this time per se. Some of that's context of bands and somebody else speaking and trying to overcome that. But, but here's my point. They're doing both. They're doing it well. And certainly those people are coming and they need to, to be fed and they need to find free water. They need to get chargers, uh, a charging station for their phones so they can stay in contact. Brilliant, brilliant strategy. But it's always about elevating the good news of Jesus Christ. That's always at the core of that. And those folks there are hungry for it. I, I think almost everyone that I met with at some point said, thank you what you do for the, at the tent and thank you for praying with me. It's simple. Lost people, but they're thankful because they see that there's something different about Christians who are genuinely trying to share their faith and love them well, both serving but also bringing the good news and the hope of Christ. It's not just at the Jesus Tenet Bronnery that we need to do that. That's in communities all around us. That's with coworkers. That's with my family. That's with your family. All of us need to be applying those truths and those practices in our lives. So, let me, let me continue here. I want to give you a couple things. Um, and we're, I, I won't labor on this long. We'll be done probably five to ten minutes, okay? Um, first of all, I want to give you this sense, and I've mentioned it already, but I, I started reading a bunch of uh, commenta- commentaries this, this uh, last couple weeks uh, leaning into this. And uh, part of what I'm doing with my PhD stuff, you guys know this mostly, um, most of you know this, I'm doing a lot of historical research. So I've, I've spent a little bit of time going back to earlier commentators. Um, and so this last week, I, one of them that I looked at uh, was Calvin. I was like, I just want to read what John Calvin back in the uh, 1500s said, um, because I think sometimes his thoughts, he's trusted as a commentator, and it's just really good thoughts. One of the things that he said about this, and a lot of commentators that I read agree with this. This letter, though addressed to First Timothy or to Timothy, is not just intended for Timothy. The instructions are for Timothy, but it's also for the church to respond to Timothy and his leadership. And I think that's a huge statement for us to remember because I think we could easily go, well, I'm not a leader in the church. I just don't need to like think about this. Or we think it's just a uh, letter that uh, accommodates the, the need for Timothy to establish leadership principles. It's way more than that, I assure you. And we're gonna look, I'm going to cover a couple of the key things here this morning to help you see that. But what's really interesting, and this is like out of the gate, one of the first things that happens is uh, Paul is instructing Timothy that the church has allowed some people to come in that are elevating the law. Okay, now they're in this elevation of the law, they're trying to um, mislead the church there, and it's, it's poor. It's, it's actually considered to be demonic. And Paul does something very, very unique here. He calls out two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who are misleading. And he says, you need to, to like dismiss them from the church because they're, they're teaching heresy. Now, now remember, why is that important? Because the tendency is for us to go back to the law and misuse the law ourselves. It's called legalism. It's the opposite of grace. See, a lot of times what we end up doing is we elevate aspects of the law because it's easier to identify and we expect things to be done in a certain way. We're we're operating in grace. takes time. It takes patience. It takes bearing with one another in hard ways or ways that are very difficult. And when we focus instead on the law, 
it robs us of the joy of watching one another's lives be transformed by the good news and the hope of the gospel. So Calvin writes this. I love this. And, and I'm going to read it and I'm going to make a comment afterwards because it's a little bit uh, antiquated language, so hang in there. But he says this about uh, the, the inside of, about the law. He says, it is an intolerable profanation of the law, or profaning of the law, okay, of God, to draw out of it nothing that is profitable, but merely to pick up materials for talking, and to abuse the pretense of it for the purpose of burdening the church with contemptible trifles. He's saying, don't dismiss it, but don't make trifles. He's covering both sides, okay? So, so, he doesn't go on, but let me add this to it. It says, in other words, what Calvin is saying, that if people were only focusing on the law and using it to, using it to burn the church, it is a misuse of the law. But the law is not, as Calvin says, about trifles either. It's about deep spiritual matters. What are those deep spiritual matters that the law points out? We know from Romans. It's about us recognizing our sin and our need for Christ as Savior. That's the use, the right use of the law. So we don't minimize it, and we don't maximize it. We find the right place to emphasize the, the law because it's a useful tool. To, 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 it's a tutor to draw us to Christ. But it's not to be imposed for us to be legalistic and smothering of one another. So we've got to find a right balance. And that's out of the gate one of the things that Paul is instructing Timothy about. And here's why. Because if it's about us ministering to one another, the whole letter of Timothy is really about this, the hope of the gospel. It's about us knowing Christ and walking together in Christian fellowship in a way that we bear with each other in grace and we find freedom. So Paul does this. He emphasizes the gospel message several times that Jesus Christ is the one who saves. Folks, I keep emphasizing this as of late, and we, we need to be a church that does this well. We've got to be a church that elevates the hope of the gospel. I'm, I'm going to be, again, blunt. We need you. We need, we've set three dates for us to go out into the neighborhoods around our church in July and August to talk to them about our church anniversary of being 25 years old, and that God is blessing us, and we want them to understand we're a church that's been in this community that God is still, God's doing great things with. And we want to invite them. It's an opportunity to invite them. Part of that is what Michael uh, mentioned this morning, showed in that Christianity Explored video. It's a discipleship pathway where they can come in and discover answers to their questions about what is Christianity. Well, Christianity is ultimately about who? It's Jesus Christ. Simple. That Jesus Christ died, buried, and, was, and rose again on the third day to save us from our sins. People in our community need to hear the hope of that message because they're sinners. And we, I have mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it again. We don't like to talk about sin anymore in our, our era. Sin is a word that people do this with because sin has become, by culture, it's defined as nothing uh, positive. Like for me, well, sin's not positive, but the truth is sin is sin, and we need to address that. And so the culture that we live in needs to become aware of their sin because they need to know who Christ is and what he did on their behalf. They're not going to learn that apart from us sharing that message. So Christianity Explored will start in September. It'll be seven weeks 
for the, the, our church to provide an opportunity for people to come and learn about Jesus and the hope of the gospel. Um, there's also this unique device in the letter. I think this is so amazing, and I'm going to highlight these. Three times Paul does this, um, he exalts Christ in a unique manner. So look at 1 Timothy 1.17, and this is after um, all this correction, um, and, and you can see maybe if you look at the title, of, of uh, like in my text, it has Jesus Christ came to sinners at the beginning of verse 12 as just the title. Um, and so he goes through the gospel in verse 17, listen to, to this um, statement. He says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He bursts in these doxologies, these praises of who Jesus is. So 117 is one of those. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 16. So he's talked about the, the um, qualifications for church leadership. And it's like out of this economy that God's created for the church. Verse 16, he says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. It's again this doxology, this highlight of who Jesus is in his ministry, and Paul hits it again. It's like through these practical things that he's teaching, he goes back to Christ and elevates his person. It's a sweet journey that it takes on. Look at, look at chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. He says, and this is after he's dealt with false teachers. He's dealt, dealt, about, uh, dealt with relationships and struggles. So all these kind of practical things, again, he bursts into this praise. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but it's like, in this, thought, in this book that's so full of practical stuff, it's like elevate Christ. Folks, that needs to be like a pattern that we follow. We do all this stuff, but then just elevate Christ. Just elevate Christ. Make his name the King of kings, the Lord of lords, alone who is immortal. Man, oh man, it's like that language, it's like, it just fuels me. Because the, the truth is, I think we get so focused on the world and our circumstances and, and tough things that we deal with. And I'm not diminishing those things at all. But if we go back to Christ, he's our security. He's our hope. It is nothing else but Christ. And Paul, he like models that and exemplifies it over and over and over again. And we don't need to lose sight of that as we go through this book. I think too, too often, like my own perspective is, I go to these like books like 1 Timothy and Titus, for pastoral, like, instructions about pastoral structure and the, the, the church polity and those kind of things. It's way more than that. It's way more than that. It's far richer than that about the person of Jesus. So, so don't think this is going to be dry stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna to, like, wet your soul about who Jesus is, and we need to remember that. And so, Mason, you got it right this morning, man, in worship. And I know I keep saying that to you, but it's exciting and it's encouraging to me that a young man, even though he's from Cincinnati, 
He's like getting it right. What's that? And he's eating that chili even worse, right? And likes it. So it's, it's just too ingrained in his culture. Um, but he's getting this right in his heart about the things of God. And, and, and that's encouraging to me. Honestly, that a young guy's doing that. And I'm not trying to brag or boast on Mason. Riley will certainly deflate his head later today, okay? But the truth is, we need that with our young folks. We need people, young people being called to ministry like Timothy because they love Jesus. Because they recognize that Jesus alone, his person, is our hope. There's no other hope to which we can cling that will satisfy other than Jesus alone. So, we, we find other instructions. Let me kind of summarize this last thing. We find specific instructions for other disciplines. So we certainly uh, see that about church leadership. But all of these things that Paul's in providing instructions for are not just for the benefit of Timothy. It's not like he's saying, hey, stack these things up in your head, Timothy, to, to like have a, a strong baton or a strong shepherd staff to wield with, at, at the church. It's for the church to respond and understand and to be healthy with. So when Paul instructs Timothy about leadership, it's for the church's benefit. It's like even if, if you compare, Ephesians already has a list of those things in chapter 4 about the gifts that are given for, in leadership for the church to be healthy. Well, Paul's just echoing things because the church hasn't operated well. And so he's trying to like bring correction. It's the church that needs to do that. He also hits this. There's a great instructions in Timothy about the importance and, and value of praying together. We know, as, as we've looked at that in our church health stuff, we, we feel like that's an area that we're doing better and better in. Folks, let me say this. We're not there yet. There's still things that we need to do to be praying better as a church body. So, so don't think, hey, we're doing okay, check it off, and we don't have to like, enhance it. We still need to work at our prayer life. And that comes out in Timothy. How we pray together is so essential. Here's what he does, too. And this is, this is one that convicts me so much. He talks about praying for princes and magistrates. Man, like I said, I'm so convicted. I don't pray for our local government. I don't pray enough for our president and leaders. We need to do better at that as a church. Too, too often... The tone is we just cast stones. Before I cast stones, I need to pray. I need to pray that the Lord would change their hearts because that's the only way our nation is ever going to return in any sense. It, the church is going to be a part of that, but our prayer is the platform that, that transformation comes by because it's only through prayer and the wisdom that we gain in prayer that then we act on. I think too many times we're ca casting stones and we think that operating in a political agenda will change and prayer is not a foundational piece and we get it all wrong and people don't respond to it. Can we be people that pray for our princes, for the leaders and the magistrates in our government where their hearts would change first and be receptive to what we have to say, not according to political agendas? Me. Let it begin with me. I'm saying that obviously very convicted this morning. Last thing, practically, he talks about marriage, relationships, workplace, attitudes, and even more. Folks, Timothy is a book that we as a church need to hold up before ourselves right now as a very clear mirror 
to help us see into the depths of our own hearts and our, our own spirits, our own minds about what God wants to do with us. So I want to ask you this. I'm going to... Um, Actually, you know what? Let's, let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know there's not a lot of like, practical things to walk out of here after this message today because it's introductory. But Lord, I, I trust this. Because we've looked at the Scripture, because your Holy Spirit is taking, I, I hope, what are not just a historical survey and contextual study, but it's really about the heartbeat of the scriptures and the hope of the gospel, and that you will do this very thing, that you hold this mirror of the text up to us. And even through the introductory remarks, Lord, there, there'll be things that your spirit would reveal to us right now that we need to change, that we need to maybe repent of, maybe it's something that we need to pursue. Lord, maybe we've gotten complacent or content about some, some operations in our lives and we're not really doing what you've called us to do. I simply pray this, Lord, that you would not let us escape from conviction. You'd call us, draw us into repentance because, as Romans 2 says, it's your kindness that leads to repentance. It's not judgment, even though that's a piece of it, but ultimately we know that we want to return to you because it's your kindness. And Lord, I think that echoes or threads through all of the, the comments that I've made about the church at Ephesus. Lord, you are long-suffering. Wow. Your grace abounds, and it is overabundant for our needs. Lord, let us not Look at that grace and say, well, we can just continue in sin. That's what, what Paul addresses in Romans 6, too. He says, we don't continue in sin so that grace may increase. We don't pursue sin because we got freedom. Lord, instead, we respond in humility and repentance because your grace is so sweet and we want to, to honor you with our lives. And I think that's why what Paul does with those doxologies in the midst of this letter is so appealing to me. Because Christ is the most... Christ is exalted, and that's what we want to have happen in our lives, both individually and as a church. So, Father, my prayer is this, that we would be humble, responsive to the authority of Scripture and your Spirit, that we would be teachable, or that when, as we journey through these, this letter, that, that we wouldn't think, oh, I've got it all right. That, that I've been nailing everything down in my life. But Lord, we would, in humility, say, show me where I'm failing. Show me where I've given up my first love. Correct me, Lord, so that I can enjoy your grace more thoroughly. And in the walk of obedience, be blessed because my relationship with you, Christ, is solidifying. Not that it's perfect, but it's being, I'm being sanctified in such a way that you are pleased with me. And you're finding me faithful to what you've called me to do in ministry. And that doesn't mean it's just for the leadership of the, of the church. Lord, that is for every member as we operate together. 
So, Father, I know I'm doing pastoral prayer for everyone right now, but I trust this, that in, with you being sovereign, you being um, omnipotent and omniscient, you know every one of our hearts. And we would just walk from here today with a commitment to hear from you more over the course of this study, and we would respond in obedience. That's, that's just simply the commitment I'm asking that we would all, all make in response to, to you today, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for those that have gathered with us today. I thank you for the worship and the exalting of Jesus Christ that we've been part of today. And, Lord, I pray that we would be people that continue to do that through our, our week. So, Lord, I pray that your blessings would be upon every one of us as we leave this place today. Lord, guard our fellowship. May our conversations glorify you. Lord, may our fellowship be sweet with one another. And may our prayers extend not just to this church body, but to the people that we encounter both personally and in those that are in leadership in our community that need our prayers. So, Father, we thank you for our time together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you this week to go and connect in communities and change lives by sharing the love and the good news of Jesus Christ with others so they would know the hope that we as, as Christ's children possess. Thanks for worshiping here at the Grove Church. Uh, we're not encouraging you to leave fast, enjoy time of fellowship with one another, and have a blessed Sunday afternoon.